Good morning. Welcome to All People's Church. We're coming to you today from Flagstaff, Arizona. Our focus is discipleship, and the title of today's lesson is In Search of Discipleship, Part 2. As a very short recap of the last three lessons, you will recall that on October 9th, I taught about inconvenient truths of the Bible. Discussed were both convenient and inconvenient truths. The inconvenient truth highlighted was that Jesus insists that we put him first above everything and everyone. October 16th teaching was entitled In Search of Discipleship, and it's part one. And the main point was discipleship is a stool with three legs, knowledge, belief, and action. Jesus stated three times in chapter 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we talked at some length about that. Today, it is my purpose to search further into the scriptures to define discipleship. In today's text, we will learn that we must abide in the vine and we must bear fruit. We shall find out what abide in the vine means and if bearing fruit is optional or mandatory. We will also learn the meaning of God's purging and its purpose. Our theme today is be a disciple make a disciple. The primary idea is the defining characteristics of discipleship are abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit. The golden meditation verse is John 15, 8. It says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. When we think about and meditate on this scripture this week, let us ask ourselves, are we glorifying God? Let's maintain and repair our shield of faith and sharpen our sword of the Spirit with a more thorough knowledge of the Word of God as we begin by listening as members of All People's Church read today's text, John 15, 1 through 27. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, I will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates but that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they, they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he will testify with me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. Denise, would you go back up to the first two verses of John 15 and read those, please? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is finishing up his teaching concerning his and the Father's expectations concerning his followers. This is super important. <laughs> One of the young men we listen to who does a weekly update on Space News, he would probably have said something like, this is massively important. Mm. And so let's delve into this carefully. There's a lot to be learned here. We're talking about understanding discipleship. Discipleship is not well understood. It is not often preached. It's sort of smushed in with conversion. And really, conversion is the first step of discipleship, but discipleship is much more. And so today, in the 15th chapter, we're going to learn more about what the expectations are for us as those that would become disciples. Jesus will go into detail in subsequent verses to explain what bearing fruit means also. This is not the only time Jesus spoke to the disciples of plants and bearing fruit. One example that is pertinent to today's discussion is found in Luke 13, 6 through 9. Would you read, please? He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of this vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree, this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. 
why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it, and it bears fruit. Well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Okay, so here's the idea. The owner of the vineyard coming to examine a tree, a fruit tree that's in the vineyard. It's a fig tree, in fact, and he finds no fruit. This is the third year that he's looked for fruit on this tree, and he's had enough. He says, well, let's cut this one down. Let's plant something else here. And, of course, the keeper of the vineyard, his servant, says, Lord, let me, let me see if I can do some cultivating, some fertilizing, maybe some extra watering, and see if we can get this plant to produce. So there is an expectation of producing fruit. Now let's go to Luke 8, 4 through 15. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop of a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, Keep it and bear fruit with patience. I want to point out that oftentimes when this is preached and oftentimes when I've read it, I have the idea of this is all happening in an instant. It's like the word goes out and instantly the birds come and take the seed out of the heart of some. And I'm sure it can happen instantly, but really when Jesus is talking about this parable, when he is conveying this idea through the parable, he's talking about over a period of time. And you'll see that when he talks about the fact that he says, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root. And what does he say? They believe for a while. Doesn't he say that? He says, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. So there's He's talking about people, I believe, that get converted. I know that there's others that are going to take a different view of this. But I believe he's talking about really preaching the word and people hear it. They hear it. And over time, various things happen. One of those, of course, we talked about is that the birds, which represent Satan, 
come and steal the word out of the heart. And that's probably, you could probably go into that and talk about that again for a long time. But we're going to talk about each of these things for just a moment. And then the second one is those that they don't have any root. He's really, I think, talking about people that they can get excited about something, but then do they have the character to stick with it? And in this case, he says, you know, as soon as the sun comes up, as soon as it gets hot, as soon as there are temptations and difficulties, they're gone. And then he says, there's another set of people that hear the scriptures. I believe that they incorporate the scriptures. In my mind, they become converted. They say, yeah, this, is, this sounds good. This sounds great. This is what I want. But then what happens? It says that those seeds fell among thorns, and they began to be choked with the cares, the riches, and pleasures of life. And here's a very important part. Listen to this really clearly. He says, and they bring no fruit to maturity. So there is, to me, in this sentence, there's implied the idea that they should have brought forth fruit to maturity. They should have. In other words, they were converted, and now they should have begun to bring forth fruit. But what happens is instead, the cares of this life. How many times have we seen it in churches? All of the churches that Denise and I have been a part of for these five decades, going on six now, where we see people that they get started well, but they cannot maintain their focus. And so today, we're going to be talking further in John 15, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's going to make some very specific statements, one of which is, you must abide in me, right? You must abide in me, and you must bear fruit. The idea of abide, this is a continuing thing. You've got to stick with it. You've got to have patience. And that's one of the words I love that in this particular parable, he says in verse 15, but the ones that fell on good ground, the ones that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it. And what do they do? They bear fruit with patience. And I think patience is a key point right there. Not only do they bear fruit, but they do it with patience. Patience implies, you know, you've got to be able to stick with it. That is laying the groundwork for what we're going to talk about now in John 15. The expectation of necessity to bear fruit cannot be clearer than in these two parables. In the first parable, the owner is like, Chop this plant down. It's not bearing fruit. Get it, all, get it out of the garden. Do whatever you do with it. Burn it. I don't care. But I want something else planted in this space right here. There's an expectation of fruit. And then in the second parable, which we might completely miss this point. And I've missed it many times. But in that part of the second parable where he talks about the good fruit or the good soil where the seed is planted... There's this, again, this expectation that that person would bear fruit. So, however we come to faith in Christ, however we come to faith in Christ, and I know that there seems to be different ways. I know that there's some people that come to faith in Christ in a very cerebral way. 
They think about it for a long time. They examine all the evidence, and then they slowly incorporate the truth of the gospel and come to faith. And I know that there's others that are just the opposite, and they come to faith quickly. The very first time that they hear the gospel, it resonates within them, and they are ready to accept Christ. So I know that there's a, a wide spectrum of how we come to faith. But once we have made our decision to follow him, we will begin to grow on the sincere milk of the word. We will begin to bear fruit. It's inevitable. If we will get into God's word, we will begin to bear fruit. It is then that God's purging begins. So let me stop here just for a second and talk again about bearing fruit. And I'll get to this again later in the teaching. But there's internal fruit, and that's when I talk about the sincere milk of the Word. I'm talking about the fruit that's internal. If you will get in the Word, anyone listening to this podcast, both now and in the future, if you will get into the Word of God, and today I'm, I am concentrating on the New Testament, that is the New Covenant. If you only have time to study one segment of the Bible, you want to spend your time in the New Testament. And then in the Old Testament, there's lots of good stories. They're written for our instruction. There's at least 4,000 years of wisdom in the Old Testament. But the most important part of the Old Testament are the prophetic scriptures concerning Jesus. That is the, oh, the heart and soul of the Old Testament is God's bringing mankind to the point where he could introduce his son to them. Today, however, we're talking primarily about the New Testament. If you will get into the New Testament and read it, the milk of the Word will cause you to grow on the inside. That's bearing fruit. That is one way to bear fruit. The second way to bear fruit is externally. There's lots of works that we do that are good works that God does want us to do, but the primary work that He wants us to do is to make disciples. And that is really one of the main points of our going through and studying discipleship is to find out what does he want of us? What is his expectation of us as believers? And so we're trying to fill in those details and to grow. Purge, which comes from the second verse that we just read, and I'll read it again so that we can have it right in the front of our minds. He says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Let's talk about purge. Purge means to cleanse or rid of impurities. How does God cleanse or rid us of impurities? I believe there are three primary ways. First, of course, is the written word. In it, we find the written commandments of Jesus Christ himself and also the acts and teachings of the apostles. The word is a mirror in which we can see ourselves. Secondly, the Holy Spirit sent to us for the express purpose of comforting us and teaching us. He speaks to us of the impurities he sees in us. I promise you that's true. The Holy Spirit will speak to you and talk to you about the things he sees in you that you need to deal with. 
And he won't talk to you just once. That's an encouragement to you. It's not like if you don't answer and get it right on the very first time he talks to you, it doesn't mean he's going to quit talking to you. That's, he will not. He will keep talking to you. In fact, almost every time, if there's something that I'm with, sort of withholding from him, something that he's spoken to me about in the past, as soon as I get on my knees and begin to pray, that thing begins to come up before me, and I know that I'm going to have to deal with it. Whatever the issue is, some type of impurity in me, if you will. Isn't that interesting? That's the reason I always suggest pray for yourself first. You know, one of the most important things that I can convey to you is the fact that we want to be ready when Christ returns. It's going to happen. It's going to be unexpected. And here's the deal. All of us on a daily basis, just because of we, the fact that we live in this world, we have errors of judgment, we make mistakes, we also hurt people, we sometimes cloudy, cloud up our testimony because we do things that are not Christ-like. Sometimes we just commit plain, foolish sin. We just do. Sometimes we just fail. Sometimes we just make a mistake. Sometimes we just lose our focus for a few minutes. So when I say put God first in the mornings and pray, and one of the first things you should do is you should stop and say, Lord, show me. Show me the spots and blemishes that are on my garment. My garment's supposed to be white. It should, it's supposed to be like the purest linen. It's, like, it's supposed to be like white as snow. But things happen. So Lord, show me. Show me what I need to see, what I need to know, so that I can repent of those things. And that's all He requires of us. He is so willing to forgive. It's His glory. He exalts in forgiving us. And all He wants us to do is acknowledge it, repent of it, and then turn away from it. What is one of Jesus' commandments? Jesus told us, he said, if your brother comes to you, if he's trespassed against you or sinned against you, you know, he says, if he comes to you and asks you to forgive him, you forgive him. And you know, when he says that, he's not asking us to do something that he's not willing to do. He wants to forgive us. And so all we've got to do is come to him and say, Lord, I really messed this up. Would you forgive me and help me to do better? And one of the things I often say in my own prayers is, Lord, strengthen me. Give me grace, Lord, so that I don't do this again. Lord, when this kind of situation comes up, when this kind of temptation comes up, whenever this person comes up, help me, Lord. Give me strength that I can handle this the way Christ would handle it, the way you want me to handle it. I'm talking about purgings. What I just talked to you about was the second thing, which is the Holy Spirit, who is sent to us for the express purpose of comforting us and teaching us, and he also speaks to us of the impurities he sees in us. Now, here's the third thing. Trials and tests ordained or allowed by God also force us to confront the remaining impurities in our behavior and thinking. This is true. We're talking about God. God wants fruit. In fact, he wants more fruit. And when he comes to us as a plant in his garden, 
he begins to purge or prune us. I think it can be painful at times to be pruned. He sometimes allows trials and tests. They're ordained by him for the purpose of forcing us to confront our own behavior. He sees things in us that we've got to get right. And he purges us or he prunes us so that after we come out on the other side of that trial, that testing, we're able to bear more fruit. And there's a whole, I had written a whole paragraph to talk about that. I'm not going to do it because it takes up too much time, but there's a whole teaching in that idea of trials and testing. But we'll continue on today so that we can finish up the main point of what we're trying to learn today is what is being a disciple like? What, does, what constitutes being a disciple? Whoever I ask to read Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, would you read that? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. The reason I asked Clint to read that is because this is a sub-point, but I want to talk about it for just a minute. This purging of God is conclusive proof that we go through things for the benefit, our own benefit, and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. His expectation is that we would bear fruit. We should personally bear internal fruit, that is, become mature and more Christ-like, and we should bear external fruit, that is, we should make disciples and do the work of the ministry. And what Clint just read was talking about the work of the ministry. Pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, he gave them, he gave this group of people for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now we, as pastors, Denise and I, but also prophets, evangelists, and teachers, should set the example in all areas of bearing fruit. You can expect more of us than you expect of a regular church member. You should expect more of us. And we should fulfill your expectations. The fruit that we bear should include the two ideas of making disciples and the other works of the ministry. You should see that in Denise and I. You should see that we make disciples and that we bear fruit, that we do other works of the ministry. And there's, again, there's a whole teaching in the works of the ministry, what constitutes works of the ministry. The other thing that you should know is that is our job as ministers or as pastors is to equip those that Christ has put under our care to do the same works, to be disciples and to do the works of the ministry. Now, verse 3, Denise. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We're going down through these eight verses like I normally do. I like to preach verse by verse. And sometimes there's things in those verses that don't necessarily go with the the main idea of, of what our teaching is for any particular Sunday. But this is one of those that I really thought was important. How many times have you heard me recite Ephesians 5.26? And I'll read it to you. 
Ephesians 5.26 states that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That was Paul. And Paul was talking about the church as a whole, the bride of Christ. But the idea that Paul talked about was that the word of God, the word of God cleanses us. It washes us. It's a good thing. That's the reason we do what we do at All People's Church. We read the scriptures. And most of the time, by the time we get done teaching, by the time I get done teaching, we've read it three times at least. Why? Because we get that word in our mind. It cleanses us. It changes us. It purifies us. And what did Jesus tell his disciples right here in verse 3? He says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. So you see that Paul was not the first one to come up with this idea. But Jesus stated it clearly right here. Verse 4, 5, and 6, please. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. I want to concentrate on verses 5 and 6. Verse 6 is a little, it's a little tough. It's a little bit negative. Okay, let's talk about it for just a second. It says, if a man abide not in me. He is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Here's the example that we talked about in Luke, where the master of the garden comes through there, and he's got a plant that's not bearing fruit. In this case, he says, he says this, this plant is not abiding in me. This plant is not bearing fruit, and the result of that is that the master says i've had enough move this one out let's put someone in that one's place that will bear fruit but let's look at verse five it says i am the vine you are the branches he that abideth this is the positive side verse six was the the negative side verse five is the positive side he says I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, he that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. In summation for this, these two verses, verse 6 is very troubling scripture for those who believe that once a person comes to faith, they are set for life. I know that's taught in many churches and in some entire denominations. And the only thing I can say, guys, I want to be charitable to my brethren in these other, other churches that sometimes preach this. But the common sense that God gave me does not allow me to go down that path. When I can see clearly these verses in God's Holy Scripture, verses that were not even spoken by an apostle, but were spoken by Christ himself, I must just accept the fact that God has certain expectations for us. The idea that someone can fall back into their former way of life and everything is still okay 
is not contemplated anywhere in the Holy Scriptures. Nowhere. There's nowhere in, the, in any of the New Testament where there is this idea that you can do like in Jesus' parable. There's no, there's no contemplation that once you've received the good seed in your heart, that then you can let the cares of this world choke it out. There's nowhere that that's, that's allowed in the Scriptures. So is this a serious thing? Yeah. And I preach hard. I do preach hard. But I try to preach the truth. And what I want is that anyone that listens to me, that they're going to be like the person in verse 5. The verse 5 is the positive side of it. We must abide. We must continue. We must bear fruit with patience as stated in Luke 8.15. If we do, listen guys, if we do, we can concentrate on the positive message of verse 5 and not on the negative message of verse 6. See, we should never be concerned about verse 6 because we are going to be that group of plants in God's vineyard that are determined to bear fruit. Verse 7, Denise. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You know, I talked about great promises last week in chapter 14. Well, this is a great promise. This harkens back to chapter 14 in which Jesus reminds us that we must keep his commandments, right? He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. He's talking about us remembering his commandments and living those commandments. That's how we abide in him. His words must abide in us. But here he adds, this is great, but here he adds the clear benefit of answered prayer if we do. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That is a great promise. Abide in him. Abide in him. And then allow your prayers. This will empower your prayers to be answered. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Amen. Amen. This is, gonna, this is our final scripture. We're almost done. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. In summation, discipleship is more than mere conversion. Discipleship demands action. We must pattern our lives after Jesus. He bore much fruit and glorified God. We also must bear much fruit and glorify our Heavenly Father. We show our love for our Savior by keeping His commandments. We demonstrate that we are His disciples by bearing much fruit. Discipleship has three parts. This is my own teaching on discipleship. Knowledge, belief, and action. We talked about that last week. While the fulfillment and proof of discipleship is abiding in Christ Jesus and bearing much fruit. 
Let me state this one more time. Let me repeat it. Discipleship has three parts. Knowledge, belief, and action. While the fulfillment and proof of discipleship is abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit. We must be disciples. Amen. Amen. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Our good works, nor any other trait, no matter how admirable, are sufficient or acceptable. Salvation is a free gift to all people through the grace of God alone. This gift of salvation was foretold in Isaiah 53, 6. It says concerning the Christ, the Anointed One, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Salvation is a free gift to all people. No works are accepted as payment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes this exceedingly clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20, 31, but these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of Jesus was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. God alone designed it, foretold it, and carried it out. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation, so say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one, which can be used as a guide. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. 
I believe you sent Jesus to suffer and die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Please give me strength as I submit to Jesus as my Lord and help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. You can also contact me, Brother Jerry, by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com concerning any questions you may have or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you this week.